Hello. Good to see everyone today. My job today is to slow down a little bit. I think I've been told that I come out like a fire hose and just start talking because I have so much stuff I want to say real fast. So my, I'm just going to take deep breaths and talk to you today. How's that sound? There's no gum in my mouth. Um, a lot of churches, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they'll stand when we read the Gospels. You guys want to do that? Let's stand um, while I read this Gospel story. It's from Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately after, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once... Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answers, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came up from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went into where, where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kona, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Yeah, right? Uh, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. That's a lot right there, right? All that happens on a little walk. Uh, there's some amazing little walks in Scripture, aren't there? You know, the road to Emmaus, and you got this story. Um, Mark, it seems like there's one story going on, and then another story interrupts it, and then that story ends, and then the other story starts back up. But actually, Mark is doing this on purpose. He's telling two stories here, and he's drawing a lot of parallels in it. It's kind of masterfully done. Um, just to let us, I like to always give context of where Jesus is coming from. So um, this is, um, Sandy was just talking about the Sea of Galilee, one of her favorite places. So over here, that place called Gergesa there, Jesus had just been over there. That was the land of the Gerasenes. That's the side of the lake or the sea that was a kind of a Gentile side. Um, and 
the story was he was there. Um, this man, as soon as he stepped off the shore, people run to him in this story. So in that story, this man ran to him, and we heard about the Gerasene demoniac. He was this man who had legions of demons inside of him. They had to put him out at the tombs. Uh, they tried to bind him hand and foot, but when these demons came on him, he broke the chains. He, he was so strong. And so they put him out by the tombs, and he would cut himself. It was really sad. And Jesus had compassion on him and delivered him of these demons. And it's a really straight, crazy story because the demons are like, don't send us to hell. Put us in those uh, pigs. And he's like, well, okay. So he sends them and he puts them in the pigs. And like 2,000 pigs go running off a cliff in the, into the – I'm going too fast, aren't I? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so the pigs jump in the water because this isn't the real story. I'm just kidding. This, this is background, right? Um, they jump into the water. Uh, the pig farmers go back into the town, and the whole town comes out and says, whoa, because they see this demoniac man who's sitting there just totally sane, like a normal person again, clothed, and they're like, whoa. Um, we see something amazing has happened here, but if it's all the same with you, Jesus, why don't you just move along? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what to do with you, right? This is amazing. So the demoniac guy, he, the former demoniac guy, wants to go along with Jesus. Jesus says, no, I want you to go back home and tell your people the good things that God has done for you, right? And so then Jesus gets on the boat, and then he takes this, like, red route. Um, this next story, Jairus and all this, we don't know exactly where it took place, but the best guesses of scholars are it's of Capernaum or somewhere around there, okay? So he gets in the boat, crosses back across the lake. Um, it seems to be around this time of Jesus' ministry, this is some of the only time he gets to rest, um, because as we see, as soon as he steps off boat, people go gather around him, right? And so uh, you wonder, how, how was he sleeping in that boat when he uh, calmed the storm? It's like, maybe this is why, because this is the only time he had to rest where people were all around him. So they land on the shore. All these people come around Jesus to get a piece of him. And then Jairus sees him. Jairus is one of the leaders of the synagogue, well-known. And he sees Jesus, and he makes a beeline for him. And he comes, and he, he kneels before him. He says, Jesus, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come and put your hands on her and you, so you can heal her. And so Jesus says, okay, let's go. Um, so they go, and there's this crowd all around Jesus, um, and they're, you know, everywhere he goes, I'm sure he's, that, that gets annoying after a while, but he seems to handle it pretty well. He's Jesus. Um, and so they're going, and then we're introduced to another lady, and she's just called the woman, and she doesn't get a name. And in Scripture, when you come across someone who doesn't get a name, it says something about who they were and how society did or did not even at all look at them. She doesn't have a name. It's very sad because scholars always refer to her as the woman with the issue of blood. And I think I just think of her in heaven as like, would you guys please stop calling me that? Um, Jesus fixed that. So don't call me that anymore. I, I, that, these are things I think about when I read. Um, so this is the woman. She doesn't get a name. She's not looked upon very highly in society. She's been bleeding for 12 years every day, which is a condition that's just very embarrassing because everyone in the town, the village, and the community knows about it. You have to let them know, because if they come near you and you touch them, you make them unclean. So they need to let you know, hey, don't get around me. That means she can't go to the synagogue um, and worship. She, she's excluded from that community. And to think of all the jobs that you can't do if you can't touch anything with people, right? I mean, with this woman, it's, it's so sad. Um, this bleeding obviously would allow us to know that she can't bear children, and so either she's not, she's definitely not married at the time, but she either never got married because she started bleeding earlier, or if she started this bleeding after she was married, 
um, her husband would have been fine to divorce her because he, she wasn't a childbearing a woman, right? So she's left kind of on her own without. I mean, even when you think about down to like the last resort of prostitution wasn't available to her. So that's, and anytime she does get any money, she gives it to a doctor who makes her worse. This is her predicament, right? So when Jesus shows up, it's apparent that people know a little bit about Jesus, especially if it's Capernaum. Uh, it's often referred to as the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. So people knew who he was. So she sees him and makes a beeline for him. And she, um, I, I want us just to kind of start with a clean slate with this woman. Um, we, we love her audacity a lot of times, but when you think of what she's doing, she's unclean, and everyone she touches is going to become unclean. But she's like, Forget it. I'm going for it. And so she goes in, and she's everyone she's touching to get into Jesus, she's making unclean. And when she comes to grab the hem of his garment, uh, she's making him unclean as well, right? So that's a bold move. I just want to say that she steals a healing. It's true, you know? And, and that one of the beautiful things about this thing is he lets her. I, I want us to look at what Jesus is and his, his heart for people. She, he allows her to steal a healing from him. The power goes out from him. It's a neat thing, but when you think about what she's doing, um, we'll talk about that later. So she stole a healing from Jesus. Um, and when she feels it immediately, her bleeding stops, and she knows that she's freed from her sufferings, it says. And so Jesus calls her out. And also, if you want just a fun thing to do, there's all kinds of messianic things about the, touching the hem of his garment that you can look up. I'm not going to do it for this sermon, but it's really, really fun. Um, I recommend it. But um, so Jesus calls her out in front of him and says, you know, he says, who touched me? And everyone's like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's around you. Um, but she knows what he's talking about. And this poor woman, um, she's just always, she's just wrapped up in shame. And he's going to put her in front of everyone. But he knows, he's, he knows what's happened. And so she comes before him. And he, she tells him the whole story of all, of all this history. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. That's just a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> Um, he does that because so the whole community knows, you know, oh, they all they for 12 years every day of her life She's been unclean and when someone sees her that's unclean That's the first thing that pops into their mind And so it's going to take the, they need to know that she's no longer unclean for her to be welcomed back in So what Jesus does is not only heals her or allows him her to steal the healing is he restores her to her community You can go back to synagogue if someone wants to marry this woman, you can marry her because she can bear, probably bear children again because Jesus, when he heals us, he heals us all the way. Um, and so he restores her to her community. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So while he's saying, go in peace, your faith has healed you, people from Jairus' house come and say, hey, don't bother him anymore. She died. So I just want us to put ourselves in Jairus' shoes for a second, Okay. Jairus, you know, as we see, he runs to the boat when Jesus has come. And um, yeah, this is a great pa painting. I've, I've put some paintings up here. Um, this is just the confusion of the whole thing. This is entitled, Who Touched Me? Um, and so it's like there's all these people gathered around. It's a very confusing time. And so J Jairus' people come. She's dead. No, don't bother him anymore. So if I'm Jairus, I run to Jesus. I'm sorry. I started talking about the painting. That wasn't in my notes, and so now I'm, all, now I'm out, of, out of whack. So rewind, <laughs> Jesus lands on the boat. We're in Jairus' shoes. We run, we say, Jesus, come, please heal my daughter. She's at the point of death. Um, and if I'm Jairus, I just put myself, Bo's here today. Bo's my four, you want to wave? Yeah. So Bo's my four-and-a-half-year-old. If that was Bo, I just put, could put myself in, in Jairus' position. I'd be like, 
if he's at the point of death, I mean, I am desperate and I'm running and I'm going, Jesus, I, I, I please come and put your hands on, on Jairus, on my daughter. Um, so Jesus says, okay. And I'm, if I'm Jairus, I'm pushing Jesus along. <laughs> I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So this crowd gathers around him and I'm thinking, leave him alone. Let's go, let's run, let's run. And then Jesus stops. And I'm thinking, if I'm Jairus, we don't have time to stop. We got, we got to go. Um, and he says, who touched me? And just the confusion of Jairus is like, hey, this doesn't matter. Let's move on. And then this whole thing goes out before him. This woman comes before him. And she tells a whole story, and that, which to Jairus, I imagine, probably seemed like it took an hour. Because we got to go. And so this wonderful thing happens, right, right in front of Jairus' eyes. But if it's me, I'm thinking, this is great, but we can tell this story later. You know, we got to get home because um, my, my daughter's about to die. And so as this story is finishing up, people come from my house and say, it's too late. She died. So I'm thinking not only this woman steal a uh, healing from Jesus, but she stole one from me because we didn't get home, right? It's just heartbreaking. So when they tell, and we can tell from this story that the thought of maybe a resurrection wasn't in their mind. Um, you know, chronologically, we think that Jesus may have um, risen um, the, the widow of Nain's son before this, but we don't, we're not really exactly sure. Um, but it didn't enter his mind. Everyone thought it was over. She's dead. Leave the teacher alone. And Jesus leans over and says, hey, just have some, have some faith. Don't be afraid. Because he knows it's, it's beyond sadness and anger. It's fear inside of Jairus. So don't be afraid. Only have faith. So at this point, Jesus thins the crowd. He said, everybody leave. Peter, James, and John, you're coming. Jairus is coming. And, and um, Jairus' wife is coming. They're going to go in there. And they enter then the, the house, and it's a scene of mourning. Um, the way that, that these people would um, mourn is loud. Uh, so they would wail. They'd throw ashes on their head and dust on their head. They'd actually hire people to come in and, like, play flutes and wail and throw ashes on their head to make it a, even a bigger spectacle because they, they knew it was very important to mourn. And they, in this culture, they did that a lot. A poor person would live 30 to 40 years, and a wealthier person would live 60 to 70 at the most usually. Um, so mourning was part of the culture, and they knew they needed it. So he walks into this scene of, of noise, and Jesus says, why are you guys doing this? She's not dead, but she's asleep. And they laugh at him. And the reason they laugh at him is because these people are not primitive. They know what dead is. <laughs> you know, there's no more breath coming out of her mouth. There's no more pulse. She's turning white. Her lips are turning blue. That they, they knew what death was. Um, and so it wasn't like she was really just sleeping. She was dead. Um, and so they laugh at him. And it's another funny thing about another group of people in this story that tr treat Jesus with contempt. But yet Jesus still gives them a wonderful miracle. It's, a, it's amazing. Um, so he walks in the room. So there's a theme throughout these both of these stories of clean and unclean. We know that the woman um, went and touched Jesus, and technically she made him unclean. But then he turns around and makes her clean. Uh, so what's the rule now? <laughs> she, she was unclean when she touched me, but she's not anymore. Same thing happens here. He comes in this to this corpse. She's a corpse at this point. Um, and if Jesus touches a corpse, he becomes unclean for seven days, right? So he reaches right out and touches her hand, Talitha Kum, um, and she gets up and starts to walk. So what's the rule on that? She's not, I touched a corpse, but she's not a corpse anymore. So what's the rule? It, it, Jesus always does this. And I, another really fun thing to do in your scriptures is watch Jesus go on the offensive. 
most of these rules and laws that the Pharisees are trying to do, it's all on the defensive to make sure I don't do anything wrong and to make sure I'm not doing this. Jesus comes on the offensive and makes unclean things clean. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing to do. Um, this old desert father, he, he talks about when Jesus was baptized. It's like he wasn't being baptized to cleanse his own sin. What if he was being baptized to cleanse the water of the whole world? <laughs> Just that thought of, of him going on the offensive to make everything clean. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing thought. And then he says two things that I think are just, again, when I read this, I'm thinking, how is this going to work? He says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. I mean, just think this through. Jesus got out of a boat. He was surrounded by a whole bunch of people. Jairus comes running up, says, hey, will you come to my house because my daughter's dying? We're all walking together. <laughs> Somebody steals a healing from him, and you get to watch it in front of everybody, this amazing thing that no one's ever seen before. And then we're keeping on walking, and someone says, hey, your daughter's no longer uh, at the point of death. She died. And then Jesus says, hey, could you guys go home? And Jesus walks in Jairus' home. Guess what, who they're going to see later that day? That little girl. She's running around, right? Or at least the next day. They're going to see this little girl who had died. And I always picture, like, people going up to Jairus saying, hey, what happened? I heard your daughter died. And he's like, I'm not allowed to say anything. I mean, how does that work, logic? I mean, the, just the, the logistics of that. <laughs> how do you not tell anybody that story when so many people already know the first part of it and they're going to see the result? And then the second thing he says, give her something to eat. Uh, that happens, uh, Jesus makes sure that people see him eat after he is resurrected. Um, I think it's to make sure people don't think he's a ghost, right? I think that's part of it. Or maybe dying and being resurrected makes you really hungry. I don't uh, one of those things. But he knows and we, we don't. So I want us just to look at this story um, and just look at Jesus' heart. I want us to compare these two people, um, Jairus and the woman. Uh, so let me do those slides on the comparisons. Yeah. So Jairus, he's clean, right? Let's look at the kind of people they were. Jairus is clean. We don't know anything about his uncleanliness. He's a leader in the, in the synagogue. The woman, she is unclean. We know from the very get-go um, that she is not, not a clean person. For 12 years, every day of her life, she's been unclean. Um, Jairus, he's a leader. He's honored. He's accepted by everyone in the community, and he's looked up to. So if something's happening in the community, Jairus is a part of it. He's accepted. He's embraced. He can put his armors around people. You know, he can embra embrace people and family. The woman, she's isolated, and she's ostracized. Remember, she can't go to synagogue because she's unclean. She can't hug anybody. She can't marry anybody. No one's going to marry her. She is on her own. She's outside of everything. Um, it's a very, very sad um, existence. She doesn't even get a name in this story. Um, Jairus, he's wealthy. Seems to be able to hire, you know, uh, mourners pretty quickly. He's got servants apparently around. Um, the woman, she's very poor. She's very limited in her income possibilities, and every cent she gets, she gives to a doctor who makes her worse. Okay, in these last two things, I want to look at the methods they come to him. Jairus is not filled with shame. He comes boldly to Jesus and says, hey, this is what I need you to do. Sure, he's on his knees and he's humble. He says, please come to my house. But he's not worried about what everyone is thinking. He comes to him boldly, face-to-face -to, -face to Jesus, and asks him exactly what he wants. And the woman is very different. She is wrapped in shame. She's unclean, and everybody knows what's going on with her body. It's, it's what an awful thing. She, she's ostracized and everything. So she's trying to come up behind Jesus 
She doesn't want him to even know that she's there or anyone else. She's sneaking up to steal this blessing from him, this healing from him, with zero hopes of like a relationship, right? She's avoiding eye contact. She doesn't want him to even know she's there. These are two very different things, right? So here we have two very different people coming to Jesus in two very different ways. And we as Westerners, when we read this, we think dualistically. So usually when we are confronted, when, when we're presented with two different things, we want to know which is the right way, which is the wrong way, which is the right person, which is the wrong person, with everything, right? And so here we are with these two people, and your mind, or my, all, all our minds usually, are going to think, who was right, who was wrong? Who's the best one? Who's the less best one, right? Um, and this is the beautiful thing. So it, it raises two questions for us. The first question is, who's the right kind of person uh, to come to him? One of these should be that right kind of person. Um, practically, the question becomes, why, what, must, what kind of person must I become for God to like me, for God to um, answer my prayers, for God to come to me in intimacy, right? Um, is it the religious person over here that's very, you know, that, that's wealthy and does all the right things and is, is lifted up? Or is it the poor person that's humble? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Second thing is, um, what's the right method for me to come, for getting him to come and, and hear me? Surely there's a right way to do this, and there's a wrong way to do this. And this, this one seems, pretty, seems like a pretty easy uh, question when we look at these two things. He comes boldly before the throne, right? That's what we're told to do uh, to Jesus. And she comes and sneaks up behind him, and she seems pretty selfish. You know, I mean, she's so wrapped in shame that she, all, she can only see out, she can't see outside of herself. She's only thinking of her own needs, and she's willing to make other people around her unclean to do that. So this one looks like a pretty easy answer, right? She's doing it probably wrong, and he's doing it right. But the answer to this, in this story, from what we can see here, and this is something you're not going to hear from a pulpit very often, but Jesus doesn't seem to care. What happened with him? He came boldly before, the, before, before Jesus, um, and he got a resurrection of his daughter. She came sneaking in and stole something from him, and he's just as happy to give it to each of them. He's not right. She's not right. Maybe, he, you know, maybe they're both right. Maybe they're both wrong. Maybe there is no right or wrong way. Jesus has a heart to love them both. And that's the point I want to talk about on the, in this story today. Um, there's only one thing that's right, and it's the who, right? She comes a very different way than he does. She comes sneaking in behind. He comes boldly. He's well-respected. She is ostracized and isolated. He's clean. She's unclean. Jesus doesn't seem to care at all. He's saying, I don't care. Just come to me. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. You're not the right kind of person or the wrong kind of person to come. I created all of you, and I long for all of you to come to me. So the right answer is me. And the right method is whatever. You know, I'm the kind of person who can get tangled up in that kind of stuff. It's like, am I doing this right? Should I be doing this instead of this? Am I reading this right? And it's like, Jesus, I, I feel like he's just like, no, just come to me. We'll do this. Jesus is very confident in his ability to make me the kind of person that he is, as long as I come. But all these things kind of keep us from coming a lot of times. You know, and a, a lot of times we can think uh, that Jesus is one way and the Father's another. It's really important for us to, th to know that Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. 
So if Jesus doesn't seem to care, then neither does the Father. You know, Jesus explaining the Father one time, I think it was during the Sermon on the Mount, he says that, you know, um, but love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he goes on to say later, be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. So the Father causes his reign on everybody because he loves them all. Right? Guys, Jesus is perfect in that he loves everybody and is thrilled with any way we try to get close to him. Even when we do it for selfish reasons or through selfish motives. Jesus is very confident in his, in his ability to bring us along on the journey once we come. So he doesn't seem to impose these criteria of how we're supposed to do it or what state we're in when we have to come to him. He just wants us, uh, he just wants us. And he wants to give himself to us, to love us. And again, like I preached the last time on the, the Bryant, Vine of the Branches, our job is to let him, to let him love us and not put all these criteria. This is really, really wonderful news. You know, we live in a time right now, I think we're all aware of it, where we have groups in our country. And it's like, if you don't think like me, you're either an idiot or you're an evil person, you know. And look, and when I look at these, this story, I look at this um, I see this person probably voted for this guy, and this person probably voted for this person, and they probably get their news from this source, and this person gets their news from this source, and God's like, I don't care, I love you all. Just come to me. We'll work all this out, right? Um, I like this story in the fact that it, he's not choosing one or the other. It's not a dualistic thing. One's not doing it right, and one's not doing it wrong. It's like, you come to me. I'm the right one, and I'll change everything. Any questions? You guys always laugh, and I'm always waiting for one. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to let you love us. Lord, sometimes we can get so tangled up in who we need to be to come to you, for you to like us, for you to want to spend time with us, or the method by which we come to you. Lord, it's so freeing to know that what you want is us. And it's not always important the way that we're doing it. That you just want us before you and you like to be with us. And that you say yes to us. Not because of how we come or who we are, but because of who you are. That you've created us and you love us with an unending love. Help us to say yes to you and to receive you. In Jesus' name.